And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Law. Welcome to episode 100 of the Keith Law Show. I will not celebrate meaningless milestones. Anyway, very excited for this week's guest, Elizabeth Hargrave, designer of the tremendous board game Wingspan, which has been a worldwide hit. She's got a new game coming out called The Fox Experiment. It's actually hitting Kickstarter on September 6th, which is probably the day you're first hearing this podcast. So go check that out on Kickstarter. I will also tweet the link after this episode goes live. For those of you who are interested in more board game content from me, I also reviewed the game Lost Ruins of Arnak over at Paste Magazine. It was one of the finalists for the Spiel des Jahres Award, which is a Game of the Year award. It's a it's very good, slightly more complex game, maybe not quite a family-level game, one step up from that, but I did really enjoy it. And I actually went back. I don't, generally don't review games that are more than a year old. This one was pretty important and also pretty good, and so I felt like it was worth doing that. For subscribers to The Athletic, I do have one new post up, went up on Friday. Just a quick look at some of the more significant September call-ups, whether they came up right before roster expansion or right after, talking about what we might look for in those players developmentally and what the call-up might mean either for the short term or the long term for the teams that did recall them. Now it is my pleasure to be joined by Elizabeth Hargrave, the board game designer of uh, the designer of the board game Wingspan, uh, which won the Kennerspiel des Jahres a couple of years ago. It has become a huge global success. You can find it online. You can find it at Stonemaier Games. You can even find it in Target and put a pin in that. I'm going to come back to that in a second. Uh, Elizabeth has a new game coming out called The Fox Experiment. It is hitting Kickstarter on September 6th. Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. So let's start with the Fox Experiment, which I just got to see on a table at Gen Con in early August. I didn't get to play it because I couldn't get anywhere near the table because, of course, it was so popular. Um, so the Fox Experiment is based on the real-life effort in the mid-1900s to late-1900s by Soviet scientists to domesticate the silver fox. What drew you to this as fodder for a new board game? That's a really good question. What drew me specifically to this? Often I start working on a game because I sort of I see something cool in the world and I have an idea of how it would work in a game, right? Like I need both of those. People often ask me, like, do you come up with the way the game works first or do you come up with the sort of setting and theme of the game? And for me, it's like I need both of those things together. And then I'm like, oh, this is obviously a game. Like uh, so this fascinating, fascinating experiment that is still going, actually, they've been running it for, what is this, like 70 years now, um, 
where they've been breeding foxes and selecting them only based on their personalities. And um, as a result of that breeding program have learned a ton about the genetics of what happens when animals are domesticated and what happened thousands of years ago when dogs first were domesticated, but also, you know, cows and all these other animals that get all these physical traits like spots and um, their tails curl up and all these different things. Um, and that comes along just with the picking the, the animals that are most interested and friendly towards humans. Um, so I, it's a fascinating experiment. I read about it somewhere, or I know there was a radio lab episode about it at one point that I listened to. That's great. Um, that people can check out. Eventually I got, there's a great book about it called to tame a Fox. Um, but I actually didn't come across that until after I had already started working on the game, but, um, but yeah, it's just a fascinating, fascinating and really influential um, experiment. And obviously with breeding things and genetics, you gotta be rolling dice. <laughs> so that was sort of my <laughs> mechanical hook that you would be rolling dice and making baby foxes and somehow that those foxes should then be able to be parents in the next round. And so um, where we ended up is you you play five rounds, you actually do multiple generations of foxes. And, you know, people have, have been doing games now where you can write on cards or you're writing on dry erase sheets for sort of the whole roll and write craze. Well, so right. I wouldn't oh, necessarily yeah. categorize this game as a roll and write game because it has a lot of more typical sort of Euro-y stuff in it. It does have dry erase cards where you are making those pups with a dry erase marker. You're filling in your little card, <laughs> um, but then those those pups go into uh, the area where you're drafting the parents for the next generation. So those pups you made actually um, get to pass their traits on down to the to the next generation in the game. This was definitely the year of the roll and write or flip and write at Gen Con. It seemed like everybody had either a new one or let's take this other game that people really like. I mean, Twilight Imperium was kind of the big I, example. Have you seen this? Like, I've it is seen the, that it exists. I haven't like interacted yeah. with it at all, but that just blows my mind because we like traditionally or traditionally, it's the trend isn't even that long. But no, um, true. People associate roll and rights with sort of these lighter sort of filler weight games. You know, you're going to play it at the beginning or the end of the night. And um, yeah, the the idea of Twilight Imperium as a roll and write <laughs> like, blows my mind. But um, but it's fun to see people sort of take um, different mechanisms and and like physical objects and figure out new ways to use them. I think that's really good. Yes. I saw Orleans, Orleans has a roll and write coming. It wasn't at Gen Con, which is another interesting one. It's a good, really good, but very heavy. You know, that's a certain type of gamer who likes right. that. Right. And it's so the idea, same, I had the same reaction. I'm like, well, that's interesting that you're going to do a roll and write. <laughs> like, could that really capture what was in the original? But I try to just be very open-minded. Right? I've just been surprised right. so many times by board game designs that were just not what I expected. People just keep being clever. And so I just go into every game, like, this could be great, surprise me. Um, and that was something I thought, I'm glad you mentioned the randomness in Fox Experiment because Wingspan, I think of as having very little randomness. Obviously the card draw, there's a random element to that. Yeah, but it's you, interesting whether people think Wingspan is random or not. 
Like there are people that, that do a draft for the the cards at the beginning. At the beginning, because they feel yeah. that initial deal is too random. That's the I feel like that's <laughs> almost a philosophy. There are yeah. some people I noticed because I, I play a bunch of things online, like Board Game Arena or I've played on Yukata, and a lot of those offer the draft, even if it's not in the right. rules, it's like a variant, right? Because people just can't handle it. Whereas I'm like, no, that's fine. That's fine, right? If there's just a random card draw at the beginning of the game and that's that's me basically your randomness, I can live with that. Like there's there's some randomness in life. You just have to learn to accept that as yeah. if, you know, just for your existence as a human. Right. But, I really enjoy games that you sort of have to take what you're dealt and do yeah. best with. Right. I, I to me that is a huge part of like and a lot of games that I really enjoy are just like that. And then like then after that, it's not there's not quite as much randomness throughout the game you know this was to me this is the age old age old right where Catan I mean is anything age old in board gaming really but Catan is one where a lot of people it's old enough right that it has gone from being you know maybe the wingspan of its era and now people are like that's old and busted and a lot of it is well there's too much randomness and it takes too long to get through and I I, I admit I don't play Catan anymore because um, I played it enough you know 15 years ago or so but you know, that's just part of the game right that to me that is just inherent like in wingspan you're waiting for a certain card or a certain category of card especially to come up and maybe it doesn't come up or it doesn't come up soon enough for what you're looking for i'm fine with that i've played wingspan so many times and i've played it on the app i've played it in person i've never once thought this game is way too random on the scale of randomness at least it seems to me like it's pretty much more towards the less random side. My sense from Fox Experiment, from just standing there like a creeper and watching people play it, was there's just more, but there's a scientific reason for that, right? You're simulating something that has a lot of randomness. Yeah. And then, you know, we did put a lot of thought into, okay, how do we mitigate around the edges? So when I started designing it, it was with standard um, six-sided dice. And um, over time, it became clear that that was like way too too much variance if you're going to roll a bunch of d6s um and they're going to come out all the way from one to six like the the sum of 10 of those is anywhere from six to 60 right that's just too big of a difference um so these the dice in the game basically are one to three with um that that narrows it down a lot because you really might be rolling 10 of them (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so you're you might get 10 to 30 which is still quite a bit of variance but and then um you, there are ways to get tokens in the game that help you sort of mitigate even further that you're you know adding on a, on a bad roll you can add up 10 and, and uh recover and then the fact that the pups that everyone rolled go into the draft for the next round means that if you had a crappy roll in the next round, you're just going to take someone else's foxes to be parents, right? Like, <laughs> you're not, it doesn't uh, necessarily um, mean that you're stuck for the rest of the game with, with that bad roll. Right. You don't end up in a, a hole, so to speak, right? Which is, yeah, that's definitely a, a thing I look for just as somebody who plays in reviews, right? Don't let somebody fall too far behind. Uh, especially I played with a lot of kids, my kids, other people's kids, et cetera. Like they're, and that is the worst thing, right? If they look and they realize they're toast after one or two rounds, they're going to complain or they're going to leave, actually. It's yeah. more, even also very much of an issue. Um, so with Wingspan, um, 
which I love, you know, folks who haven't listened, I'll, I'll also link back to my review of that. It's the best review I've ever given a board game. Um, and right around when it came out too, it showed up in the New York Times. And there was a, it's a, still a great, I went back and reread that article this morning, and which talked a lot about the spreadsheet. And I think the one time you and I actually met, I even asked you a little bit about the spreadsheet because I'm a spreadsheet guy myself. And you, you had a massive spreadsheet that tracked all the different bird types that would appear in the game so you could work on balancing their different needs and their the powers you were giving them in the game and how that correlated to real life. Yep. Is, is there another spreadsheet this time around? I'm asking, I know this is such a wonky question, but no. like I said, I, Excel is basically always open on my computer. So right. I'm very, it's, genuinely it's interested. It's in a spreadsheet because that is how I make cards there's a ah. there's a program called nandec and other people do it straight into indesign um where you can take the rows of a spreadsheet and basically tell it where to put all the things on the card um so you don't have to make each card individually which is a huge huge time saver so it's on it's in excel for that reason and just for like keeping track of what i'm doing but not in the same like hardcore having to figure out how to balance things um Wingspan is really a unique game in that I had to like roll with what exists in the world and like figure out the right mix to have, you know, a good mix of all the nest types and stuff. Whereas in the in the fox experiment, for example, we can just say, okay, we want, you know, one fox with each of these traits and one fox with, you know, every combination of the two traits. Like you can just make it up in the spreadsheet. really think hard about which real things to pick. Uh, so that was a very different and much more streamlined process. <laughs> Can, do we get like three-eyed foxes? Like I'm picturing the Simpsons, right? With the no, blinky no, now. No. <laughs> Dang it. It's all, it's all the real stuff that happens. So the, the four <laughs> traits that you're tracking in the game are um, their ears got floppy. Mm-hmm. They got spots. Um, they started barking in reaction to humans. And now I'm going to blank on what the fourth thing is. Oh, their tails curled up. I said that earlier. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah. So does, it, does the game answer what the fox says by including the barking? <laughs> I feel like there's definitely a tie-in, except nobody wants to hear that song anymore. I think we're done with that at this point. I um, listened to it the other day because people uh, keep saying that to me. I was like, of course they do. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. I fell into this very cliched. I didn't think I was being original. I was, and I was actually reading a little bit because they just kind of like made up the fox noises and that. He's like, he's kind of scatting for the fox noises, but they're actually surprisingly not that far. <laughs> from it came up the other night because I was at my daughter tagged along. We went to a minor league game in Somerset, New Jersey, and they're normally the Somerset Patriots, but as part of the uh, general minor, minor league baseball effort to they rebrand all their teams multiple times a season with a Spanish language name and do various Latin American heritage things at the park. And the Somerset team's Spanish name is Los Zorros, Los Zorros de Somerset. So they were playing that song. They had fox-shaped pinatas hanging around the ballpark. And so, of course, I heard that song multiple times during the game. So it's, and of course, what is this, three days later, it's still in my head, naturally. Gotcha. Um, I mean, that so is when, the other thing that was sort of the appeal of working on this game was uh, so like, yes, it's an amazing experiment, but also people just love foxes. Oh, absolutely. We get them around. I don't know if you see them at all where you yeah. are. But I mean, I live like, in suburban Washington, D.C., but they come through my yard. Yeah, we get them, too, in Delaware. Night, yeah. And um, when it when there has been snow, we almost always see fox prints. We don't Same. see them that often, but we'll see it when it's yeah. 
Yeah. I have a video from a couple of years ago at my previous house of a fox playing with a stick in my front yard during the snow. And I'm like, okay, this is my favorite animal now. They're, they're, they're beautiful animals, yeah. but they do kind of play and run around and they're very, you know, we get deer around, but they're nowhere near as interesting yeah. uh, or as beautiful. And also deer just seem to know when the car is coming and just right, right, run out into the middle of the road. I have not had that experience with foxes. So um, I, I tend to favor foxes of our local wildlife. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Um, one thing I was going to ask also on Wingspan, you know, it's obviously it was a huge success. You crossed a million units sold, uh, I think it was several months ago. So congratulations on that. I mentioned at the top, I even see copies of it in Target, which still blows my mind that this is a $50, you know, medium weight game, but definitely more complex than what I would, th- or heavier in, in weight than what I think of as a Target game. I obviously have to rethink you know, change my thinking on that. But that is a mass, mass market channel. And they're selling your game, which is amazing. Did you get, was there a point kind of early on in this where you realized, oh, wait, this is taking off. Like I might really have something here. Um, I think the first sign was when Stonemeyer first put them up for sale on their website and mm-hmm. it sold out like within a few days um they had aimed low uh, like on the low side of normal for them for their for a first print run but i think it was like ten thousand copies which for a lot of board game companies is like that's a very respectable to yeah it's aggressive yeah for a lot um and it sold out really quickly so i think that was the first sign and then because of that it got press coverage and it kind of it kept snowballing uh, because of the press coverage. More people were looking for it, and then it was really hard to get for all of 2019 because every time they printed them, they sold out immediately. And um, yeah, so it just and then it, and then when it won the Kenner Spiel, that was a big deal within the gaming world. It doesn't mean anything to most people who shop at Target, right? So it's, <laughs> it's weird, like the fact that. It, Within gaming, there can often be a pretty big disconnect between that like mass market target market and the people who are sort of doing criticism about board games and like the snobs who are going on Board Game Geek and writing entire, you know, reviews just because they want to share their ideas about whether a board game is good or not. Um, so like the Board Game Geek website, which is a huge, amazing resource for like crowdsourced 
uh, ratings of board games, it skews so that the the top games in the leaderboard on that website are like really, really heavy games, right? Um, but Wingspan crept up on Board Game Geek as well as jumping over into almost more of a mass market style game. Like people, I'm getting invited now to birding festivals as a speaker. <laughs> like birders who have not ever played another board game have played mm -hmm. Wingspan now. Yep. And are and then they'll like come on the Wingspan Facebook group and be like, oh, we love this game. What else, what other games should we be playing? That's great. So it's like, and Wingspan is like harder, like you said, it's a little harder than you would expect to to see as someone's sort of gateway into looking for more board games. Um, but I think the subject matter brings some people in and then the, the fact that it is highly rated and has won a bunch of awards brings some people in and it's just, it's got all these different pieces that somehow all came together at once. I think what helps just as now speaking just as a player, the game looks incredible. Yeah. The art is amazing. The components, Jamie's games, all everything he's ever I've ever gotten from him, they always look fantastic. The components are higher quality. So anytime anybody, I mean, literally just the box looks good. And if you ever have an opportunity to see somebody playing Wingspan, you will look, it's very visually appealing. And I am a huge advocate of that. Like that stuff matters. It matters a ton. It literally can matter in as little as somebody saying, that game looks boring. Like, I have heard people say this about Power Grid, which is obviously a little older now. And it's a very good game, but God, the color choices in that game just kill me. Like it is all, like how many different types of gray are there in the world? Because I think they're all in that game. And you know, I've played, there's a little box game called Power Failure which has a pretty similar theme. It came out less than a year ago. It's from Genius Games. So they're, you know, they do like the very science-y games. Power Failure has a similar concept to Power Grid. You're not connecting so much as just trying to build a little engine of uh, different power plants to fire up and claim city cards. Very simple. The colors are great. Mm. And it's just so much more visually appealing. And they're not the same game. I'm not trying to make an apples to apples comparison, but there's such a difference in like, this has bright colors, this has good art. This looks good on the table. The other one looks like work. It's like, are you playing a game? <laughs> or is this some sort of like science class project? So I think that really helped, to me, in my opinion, that helps Wingspan. That helps the Fox experiment. Walking by, I actually stopped before I made the connection that it was your game. I just walked by and I was like, ooh, what's that? Which is one of the fun of going to conventions too, is just walking around. It's like, that looks that cool. Oh, that's great. Right? That, I, that's one thing I love about Just it. walking around and just in terms of like graphic design and, and art direction and stuff, I think. Yeah. Do you ever like, do you, are you taking mental notes? Like, I mean, it'd be a lot to walk around the notebook. Like I mean, that, but. yeah, it's something that interests me. It's not really part of my job responsibilities as a designer. Uh, and some publishers sort of consult me more on it than others, um, which has been interesting to see like the different um, ways that people work and how much they, they involve the designers in their art decisions or not. Um, but yeah, I've been super happy with how every one of my games has turned out visually, whether I was involved or not. <laughs> I can't complain. I do. I think within the board game industry, it's sort of a high risk proposition to print a board game. Less so now that it's on Kickstarter and you're sort of you can gauge demand as you before you hit print um, at the manufacturer. But you need a lot of upfront capital, and so I think. 
a lot of the industry has traditionally sort of just let's do what works right let's this other game looked like that so let's make it look like these other games like so the Catan generation of games I feel like all have this very similar sort of dry looking European countryside feel to them <laughs> um and and people are really breaking out of that now and it's it's fun to see one last topic I wanted to discuss with you is um, the need, something you've been very vocal about, the need for more diversity in board game design. There's there's certainly a huge disparity between men and non-men when it comes to published games, at least. And you were the, just the second woman ever to win any Spiel des Jahres award without a male co-designer. So can you talk a little bit about your experience as a woman in this space? And what do you think we need to do as an industry? And I think this falls to everybody to make board game design more inclusive? I haven't had directly negative experiences of like people being obviously rude to me because I'm a woman in the industry. I don't think we're like at that point, although I do know people who have had that experience um, and there are people out there um, who are sort of at, at that level of not accepting women in the hobby. But I think more commonly, it's just like, it's lonely right to go to an event and be the only only female designer at a playtesting event or something like that it feels weird and not like any other realm of my life um i do think it's a little bit of what i was talking about before like publishers have a financial incentive to go with successful designers and if all of the designers in the past were men and they keep getting their designs published um that creates less space to bring new people in um and again kickstarter is is busting that open some and and just people's awareness of needing to broaden the field and um look for new talent i think will go a long way and new people are just coming up through the pipeline um but as games i, I think of it as a chicken and egg thing as well in terms of like these games that were all designed by men possibly are on average more appealing to men visually or mechanically or whatever. And then we have seen historically that there are fewer women gamers. And so um, as the board games get more appealing across the board, it's bringing more diverse people in. And this is all true for race as well as gender, right? Like super, super white industry historically and hobby gamers um but that like at gen con it is gen con is visually different now than it was 10 years ago both on gender and race in terms of the diversity of the people going just as gamers mm -hmm. and, and i see that the population of designers grow up from the people who are gamers right yeah. so bringing more people in with more interesting diverse games brings the next generation of designers into the fold. Um, and then they will go on to design games that are based on their personal experiences, but will make the, the body of work of board games in general more diverse. Mm -hmm. I, I noticed this year even more, This I've always felt like Gen Con was particularly inclusive when it came to gender identity or at least expressed identity and sexual orientation. And I just felt like for whatever, I don't know why this year, it, seemed more that was just an impressions and mm -hmm. I was definitely not taking notes on like how many 
badges did I see? But it was like, this is a really inclusive space when it comes to that. I hope that level of inclusiveness, and clearly there is a sort of a progressive kind of mindset, that should, that should extend to all of these categories that we're talking about. If we can be inclusive in that direction, at least for the players, I don't, couldn't tell you whether that uh, diversity uh, in, you know, say, sexual orientation also applies to board game design. But it is with the players. Obviously, people in all of these different categories feel very comfortable coming to these conventions, which is great. It's what I think most of us want. All of us should want. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, that applies to board game design as well. And I, I like it, even though I am not myself part of the LGBTQ community. I like seeing a space like that where everyone feels welcome. I feel more welcome just as a guy who's kind of anxious and like not super <laughs> yes. naturally social, but I walk in there and I'm like, no, these are, these are my people. This yeah. is good. I like this place. Yeah. So last question before I let you go, um, since I've talked a lot about Gen Con, which of course this big flood of new games hitting the market, have you played anything recently? It doesn't have to be a new game, but anything you've played, you know, for the first time in the last few weeks, say that you really liked or, or showed you something maybe you hadn't seen before in a game? I don't think I've played anything new in the last couple months. Um, but I will call out for your listeners the game just won because I was at a, uh, a family reunion last month and we probably had 10 people. The game, I think on the box, it like comes with stuff for seven people or something, but you can just give the other people pens and paper and they can do. It really does not matter how many people play (laughs) and it becomes like total fun chaos with more people, but you are just trying to get one. It's cooperative. You're trying to get one person in the group to guess a word and everyone gets to give one clue and anyone can play this game. My mom cannot play wingspan, but she will play just one every (laughs) time. Yep. (laughs) That game is great and it plays well with you can play it with three it actually works yeah. we've done it we have our uh, my the group text with my uh wife my daughter uh and i has a name from a um we got the the two words that were left for us for the guesser were penguin uninhabited and the person guessing i don't remember who it was actually but they got it and so that is the name of our group text now. Penguin Inhabited is the, just the name for it because of that game. That game is is really, it's so weirdly simple. Yeah. Some, it's one of those when I got it out of the box, I'm like, I've played this before. Right? I've played something exactly like this. And then you play it and you're like, no, nah, I've never quite played this before. Yeah, it's and so it's, good. Yeah, it's really good. And it's good. I totally agree with your point. You can bust this out with anybody. The people who won't play Wingspan, we don't really like those people. But... The people who won't play that will play just one. You can, and you can teach somebody to play that in a few minutes. Right. It's, yeah. yeah. It's familiar enough with a new enough twist or two, yeah. I would say. Yeah, that's a great choice. Uh, my guest today has been Elizabeth Hargrave, the designer of Wingspan and the forthcoming game, The Fox Experiment, just hitting Kickstarter on September 6th. I will post links uh, for, if you're listening to this, go to my Twitter at Keith Law. Uh, I will post links to multiple places to that Kickstarter uh, once this podcast and the Kickstarter are both live. Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. 
That's all for this week's show. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back with another new episode next week. In the meantime, if you aren't already following me, I'm on Twitter at Keith Law. I hate Twitter like most people hate Twitter, but it turns out that's probably the best way to find out when I've got new content posted anywhere. I do have a page on Facebook at Keith Law Writer. I'm even on Instagram, but that's mostly non-baseball content, Mr. Mr. Keith Law. So feel free to check me out and follow me on any of those sites. Thanks again for listening. Stay safe. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.